Hello and welcome to FX Talk, an eBrew podcast where we break down some of the main news headlines of the financial markets and give our take on what these developments might mean for the world of foreign exchange. My name is Matthew Ryan, Senior Market Analyst here at eBrew, and I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast by two of my colleagues, our Chief Risk Officer Enrique Diaz-Alvarez and Market Analyst Roman Zaruk. So this podcast is all about the foreign exchange market. We're going to take a look at some of the main news stories and FX, discuss them, and give our view on what they might mean for currencies going forward. This episode will begin by talking about last week's very underwhelming US non-farm payrolls report, what it suggests about the US economy and how the dollar has reacted. And now, prior to Friday's report, investors were, were bracing for another massive month of, of jobs growth. Economists have penciled in a net job creation number of close to 1 million, but, but the actual headline number was considerably lower, just 266,000 jobs uh, were added last month, which is around about one quarter of the initial estimate. There was also a sharp downward revision to the March number, 770,000 from 916,000. Uh, unemployment also ticked up modestly, although at 6.1% still remains well below last year's peak of around 15%. The dollar reacted, uh, as you would expect, it sold off sharply across the board, it's now trading close to the 122 level versus the euro in its weakest position in two and a half months. And investors have subsequently calmed bets that the US economy may be close to overheating after Treasury Secretary Yellen uh, suggested that this could be the, uh, a, a risk in the coming months. What do you both make of last week's payrolls number and what do you think it suggests about the state of the US economy? Um, I thought it was very puzzling because it contradicts pretty much every other indicator that we'd be following about the strength of the, of the US labor market. And just yesterday, we had another blowout report in the number of uh, the jobs, number of job openings, basically, that uh, the the number of unfilled uh, workers' positions out there is, is the highest ever. So I think that paradoxically, the explanation is that, uh, is that the, it, it's actually an indicator of, the, of how hot the U.S. economy is running right now, that, and it has more to do with work with uh, businesses having difficulty finding workers to fill open positions than with any weakness in demand. Uh, let's not forget that right now, um, until September, uh, unemployment benefits in the U.S. are very generous. Uh, business, especially the, the kind of, uh, of hospitality and service jobs that were destroyed during the pandemic and now have to be uh, rehired, um, those businesses are perhaps a bit slow, slower than we wish to raise wages in order to make them more attractive. So it is possible that a significant number of potential workers have decided to wait out in, in unemployment a little bit longer. Also, um, the U.S. is a bit unique among developed nations in that a lot of public schools are still closed. I know that from my own experience. So a combination of attractive unemployment benefits, difficulty finding uh, uh, childcare or, 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 or having somebody take care of children, and slowness on the part of, uh, of uh, hospitality and service business persons to raise wages sufficiently may explain more of this weakness than any weakness in demand that we're not seeing anywhere else. 
That's my view, at least. Yeah, I would fully agree with that. But actually, I would stress that the labor market report that we had on Friday doesn't indicate that there is any labor market weakness. It still points out to an improvement in the labor market. So we see the employment rising, uh, the unemployment rate uh, that increased the U3 rate, the most popular one. It ticked up only slightly and it ticked up because the participation rate increased. So it's not not anything that uh, that is bad. Actually, the broader measures of unemployment uh, have performed better. If we look at the U6, so some people call it the real unemployment rate, it continued trending down. We saw it falling from 10.7 to 10.4% uh, on seasonally adjusted basis. So uh, generally, uh, I, I think that the market expectations have just been uh, too overwhelmingly positive when it comes to this report. They have been built up by a very positive uh, initial uh, jobless claims data that we have received. But there is also a little bit of a time mismatch between the two reports. Uh, but overall, all of the information that we are receiving from the initial jobless claims, uh, from the JOLTS report that we have seen recently, and also from the non-farm payroll report, uh, suggests that the situation in the labor market in the US is improving. We may see some temporary factors affecting the situation right now, but it seems that the demand for labor is there and that we, we might see uh, uh, some dislocations right now, as you said, people might have difficulty finding a replacement to uh, take care of their children. Uh, some people might be moving jobs. So uh, I think that this probably will, and some people might, might decide to uh, stay at unemployment benefits uh, for some time. So I think that this would probably resolve in a few months and we are likely going to see continuous improvements there. Uh, and I think that the labor market report is, is in line with uh, what we expect from the U.S. economy, and it, it is to, to grow at a very fast pace in 20, uh, 2021. I think that the 7% growth is, is still pretty much uh, expected universally, something, something around 6 or 7%. I agree. Yeah, I don't think this is a complete disaster. Um, Still think the US labor market is in a strong position, but perhaps I think it was alluding to Roman, a little bit of a, a reality check. Perhaps the market was getting a little bit carried away with itself, you know, pricing a very strong economic rebound in the US, where we see strong growth, much higher inflation, and perhaps a more hawkish Federal Reserve that, um, that would maybe have no choice but to at least consider removing stimulus in the not too distant future. Um, but yeah, I think the data suggests actually this rebound maybe might might not be quite as sharp as as initially expected. Um, we know that the consumer demand has, has been robust, but I think there are still a few a few challenges remain that suggest that recovery may not be as quite as sharp as perhaps first thought. Um, obviously, the, the Fed has been saying all along that it's going to keep policy accommodative for the foreseeable future. Stop plots showing no hikes through to twenty twenty four, and it will look through. Higher inflation. Um, I don't think the market necessarily believed that, um, but I think maybe, perhaps, if we continue to see um, data like we did last week, underperforming expectations, maybe we'll see a few more investors coming around to that view that actually the, the Fed is going to it's going to hold fire for for the foreseeable future, um, which could present a little bit of a, of a downside risk to the dollar. I think, in, in my opinion, anyway. Uh, we're going to move on now and, and talk about our, our second main topic, which um, will centre around sterling. Um, now, the pound has been the best performer in the G10 so far this week, at the time of recording anyway. Against the dollar, sterling has rallied back above the 141 level, 
for the first time since late February, while also hitting his strongest position uh, in over a month versus the euro. And in fact, the rally witnessed on the pound on Monday was was the largest one-day move in, since January. Uh, and actually, gains since January have been fairly hard to come by for sterling. Uh, we think large part due to concerns surrounding the AstraZeneca jab and perhaps maybe a little bit of profit-taking following the sharp rally at the start of the year. But uh, investors appear to have turned bullish on the pound again, first after last week's payrolls report, uh, and then following the election result in Scotland over the weekend that failed to yield a majority for Nicola Sturgeon's SNP party. And also, we, we, we've had some general optimism uh, surrounding the UK's economic outlook. Lockdown measures uh, will be eased again on Monday, and the Bank of England has recently revised higher its growth forecast for the UK for this year. Uh, so what do you both make as a rally in the pound in the last few days? And, and what do you think are the most important drivers for the currency at the moment? Well, uh, I'm going to throw the question back to you because I'm frankly a little puzzled. I, I looking at as, a, as an outsider looking at the the, the main work concern in, in, the, in the short term for investors was the uh, Scottish elections and the possibility of a pro-independence majority that would pursue a second referendum. And looking at the, the election results, seems like that's what happened. And yet, Stellan reacted uh, over the weekend uh, with with uh, almost euphoria. So I, I have to admit, in this particular case, I'm a little puzzled, and maybe you uh, from uh, Matthew uh, can give us a, a little guidance of why you think that uh, what seemed to be a priori favorable results to the independence camp actually is something that the, the, the currency markets liked. What do you think? Well, and I think, think initially, uh, the, yeah, the SNP, the, or the Scottish parliamentary election result, that the SNP was fell short of maintaining majority. I think that was the biggest risk going into the election, that they would receive an outright majority and then Nicola Sturgeon would have but a... The Greens, the, with the Greens, they, they have a significant, uh, a clear majority and the Greens, yeah. correctly, the Greens are pro-independence, right, in Scotland? Yeah, well, I think it was the fact that the market was, was bracing the fact that the SNP would, by themselves, uh, obtain a majority and they fell just short of that. I think that was a big risk going in. Um I think the market is perceiving this as as it's going to be a little bit more difficult for Nicola Sturgeon to, to force through another independence referendum. Um, I, I do partly agree with you. I think that it was actually, even before the, the election, I think it's difficult to see a scenario where we would get a referendum anyway. Um, but, but I think it's I think it's a combination of things. I think it's a combination of um, the Scottish election. I also think that we're seeing much greater optimism surrounding the UK outlook. Um, obviously, we know we've seen cases and, and deaths have dropped. Deaths dropped almost zero uh, due to COVID um, on Monday. I think the market is now very firmly confident that we'll see a removal of all um, lockdown measures as planned on the 21st of June after uh, Boris Johnson announced we'll see a, another easing next Monday. So, so I think that the market's optimistic that we'll see a strong rebound in the UK economy. I'm still pretty confident we'll see an outperformance in the UK relative to Europe in particular, which of course has lagged behind uh, with vaccinations. I think I think that it's a combination of those factors, the elections in Scotland, optimism surrounding um, COVID in the UK and the UK economy. I think that's why we've seen a sterling rally to the extent that it has done the past few days. Yeah, and I think when it comes also to political matters, uh, you 
recently we saw that the uh, conservatives in the in the UK in England actually uh, have strengthened have, have strengthened their grip uh, which is also i think possible because i think that the market has a, a positive perception of of, uh, of this party uh, at this point in time uh, Generally, uh, what we are seeing is that the UK is still leading the world when it comes to uh, the COVID situation, and uh, and I would agree that those those two drivers uh, are probably the politics uh, and also the optimism regarding the uh, COVID situation is what's behind that. But also, uh, we saw some optimism from the Bank of England recently, uh, in that uh, well, the the they. Uh, started uh, tapering, well, tapering, uh, buying less uh, less bonds, less assets. Uh, but in addition, the Bank of England has significantly uh, revised their growth forecast for this year. So it was at around five percent. It was at five percent. It's right now at seven twenty five percent. So it's a significant increase. It's uh, quite in line with uh, what uh, what uh, the central bank in the US is expecting from there. So I think that those two economies are likely going to be the outperformers in the in the G10 this year. So I think that also this uh, this factor and the fact that Brexit doesn't really seem to be a, a very big issue for the UK economy at this point uh, is also adding to the sense of optimism regarding sterling. Okay, perfect. I think we're going to uh, end our spotlight currency for the week now, which uh, on today's episode will be the Canadian dollar. Uh, CAD has been the, the best performer in the G10 so far in 2021 rallying below the 121 level versus the US dollar for the first time since September 2017. This follows the Bank of Canada's decision to taper its quantitative easing program last month, making it the first major central bank in order to do so, to do so I should say, since the start of the pandemic. So what do you both think about the Bank of Canada's hawkish policy tilt and then, of course, the rally in the, in the dollar? Do you, would you make this currency a buy, sell or hold opportunity? I mean, uh, over the medium and long term, uh, given my view on the commodity complex and the, the, the inflationary pressures are spreading worldwide and the lack of response from G10, from from bank, from the main uh, developed bank, central banks, I think it's a buy. Uh, in the short term, it has run a lot. It's, it's, I think it might be just about the, the uh, except for perhaps Australian New Zealand dollars, the, the best performing G10 currency in the last few weeks. So maybe it's time for a breather, but uh, over the medium and short term, I think it's definitely a buy. Yeah, I agree. I think that all of the factors this year supported the Canadian dollars. So it's a high beta currency uh, and obviously the sentiment towards uh, risk is improving this year. So uh, especially considering that the commodity prices are rising and Canadian dollar is also a commodity currency, which makes it a high beta currency. Uh, this has boosted um, the Canadian dollar. We are at around $70 per barrel, looking at oil prices from around $50 at the beginning of the year. Uh, the situation with COVID uh, is also uh, relatively good. We are actually seeing that the Canada is outperforming all of the other G10 countries when it comes to a vaccination pace at this point in time. Uh, they have not vaccinated as many people as the United Kingdom and the United States, uh, but the pace of vaccinations has increased significantly and they are actually on top uh, when it comes to that. Uh, so, and overall economic prospects also seem uh, quite strong. The consensus, I think, is for around 6% growth this year. So uh, I would also think that the Canadian dollar longer term uh, should, should probably be a buy. Yeah, I, I sort of semi-agree with that. I think long term, 
yes, I think it's a good buying opportunity. But actually, in the short term, uh, I, I would I would say it's an opportunity to sell in the short term. I think actually, think the rally in CAD has gone a little bit too far. Um, I'm not saying the Bank of Canada's optimism is misplaced, but I actually think that they have less reason for optimism than a lot of their major peers. Um, as you've been saying, vaccinations in Canada have generally lagged the US throughout most of the year so far. Actually, virus case numbers in Canada still remain quite high, particularly relative to the US, and restrictions remain in place in a number of areas. And actually, if we look at the, the April jobs report out of Canada, that was very disappointing. I think it was around about 200,000 net jobs were shed in Canada last month. Um, so I think there's reason to believe that this underperformance may persist for a little while yet. Um, so I do actually think we'll see a little bit of a retracement in CAD in the short term. But as, as, as you both said, I think longer term, I still, I still think we'll, we'll see a, a rally in most of the higher risk G10 currencies, particularly against the US dollar. And that just about does it from us. If you're keen to hear more about our thoughts on the currency markets, visit eBreeze website or follow us on social media. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast on your favorite podcast app. And let us know if there are any topics you would like to hear more on during upcoming podcasts. Keep an eye out for our next episode in a week's time. Thank you all very much for listening.